Well, I want to start you off this morning by turning you to Acts chapter 5. So we're just going to jump right in. If you have your Bible or you can use one in the pew in front of you. Open up to Acts chapter 5. I want to show you one of the more shocking and unexpected passages of Scripture. Refresh your memory a little bit. We read a little part of Acts chapter 4 last week where we learned about the generosity and the hospitality of the early church. Church began in Acts chapter 2. That's when literally thousands of Jews confessed Christ as Lord and Savior and they became Christians. But most of these new Christians were homeless. And you wonder, like, why were they homeless? Well, most of them were in Jerusalem because of the feast, but then someone got saved and suddenly... They didn't want to go home anymore because there weren't any Christians where they came from. They wanted to stay in Jerusalem with the new believers to learn from the apostles and fellowship. But this posed a huge problem because who's going to feed and clothe and take care of all these new believers? Well, the answer comes in Acts chapter 4. Basically, those who were wealthy in Jerusalem gave generously to support the needs of all these new believers. Some people even went so far as to sell their property and give the proceeds to take care of all these mouths to feed and people to clothe. And that's, that's a great thing. That's how Acts chapter 4 ends. It's very generous of these people. And right after this, in Acts chapter 5, we're given one specific example of a couple, two people who themselves were very generous, at least it appears that way at first, but it doesn't go as you might expect. So look at Acts chapter 5, and look at verse 1. It says, But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Again, he did this like we're like I just told you in Acts 4 to, to share with those who are in need. But the way this is phrased, though, we already get the impression that Ananias was up to no good. Like there, something else was going on here. And, and indeed, Peter, he saw through this whole ploy And let's keep reading in verse 3. But Peter saw Ananias, or rather Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So look, this property belonged to Ananias. It was his property. He, on his own, he decided to sell it, give the money to the to the church, and, and that's fine. No one made him do this. He wasn't required to do this. And even after he did so, no one said, you have to give it all. He could have just given half, 10%, 1%. He could have done anything he wanted. It was his property. But Ananias, he said he wanted to give it all. And he said he was going to give it all to these needy Christians. But in reality, secretly, he was keeping some for himself. So what's really going on here? Ananias, he wanted to give the appearance that he was super generous and super godly because he was giving the whole price of his property to those in need. But in reality, he wasn't. And this was a a ploy of a hypocritical, self-righteous liar. And this was serious. And so serious, verse 5, which says, And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him, and after carrying him out, they, they buried him. So he, did, he didn't just pass out. He dropped dead. And this is the, the shocking, somewhat unexpected part I was telling you about. God killed Ananias for this. 
And look, it was, it was his money. It was all his money. He could have done anything he wanted with it. But his desire was not truly to be generous, only to appear as generous. And this type of hypocrisy and self-righteousness has no place in the church. So God actually took his life to make a point, to send a message, to, to show that God's church and God himself are to be holy and not taken advantage of. And that's a message. message is so serious that God sent it twice. You keep reading on your own. You learn that his wife came in. She didn't know what had happened. And she got caught in the same lie. She, she was doing the same thing. And she, likewise, fell over and dropped dead. And they took her out. They buried her as well. So don't misunderstand. Ananias and Sapphira, they did not have a money problem. Money, per se, wasn't their problem. They had a heart problem, which amounted to hypocrisy and self-righteousness and deceit before the Lord. This obviously is not acceptable before the Lord, and God chose to make an example out of them. Now, all that being said, you get the story of Acts chapter 5. It makes, makes us wonder, do some of you have the same problem? Are you making some of the same mistakes as Ananias and Sapphira, especially when it comes to your giving? You may be giving to the church, but are you giving from the wrong heart? Are you giving in the wrong manner? There is a wrong way, as, as we learn from them. And I hope you learn from this the importance of giving to God in the right manner. It's not enough just to give some money to the church, even a lot. That's not going to buy your ticket into heaven. That's not going to make you a good Christian. Rather, God wants from you honor and, and praise. Your giving should just be an extension of that, and that should translate to giving, not only from the right heart, but also giving in the right way. This morning, we're coming back. We're talking about the topic of giving. We've taken a, a brief pause from our normal study on Sunday mornings through the Gospel of Mark. And we're doing a little four-part study on giving, which ends today. Today's the last part. And I don't want to get too bogged down with recaps, so I'm going to give you the very short version of where we've been. We started off by first tearing down giving from the wrong, in the, for the wrong reasons and, and in the wrong way, which today is largely tied to tithing. So I preached the first message entirely on why you should not tithe. If you weren't here, if that sounds new or shocking to you, you probably want to go online download that first message because uh, tithing is not for Christians today. But then after tearing down the wrong reasons for giving, we wanted to build up the right reasons for giving. So I did a second message that's all about the heart. God wants your heart. And everything we do as Christians should come from a redeemed heart that is, is driven by a love for God, a love for others. God's not interested in us going through the motions whether that's for our giving or our Bible reading or prayer or church attendance. He doesn't care about that. But he wants true, heart-driven worship. And when it comes to giving, that should extend and translate into how you give and why you give, an expression of worship. And that part, that was the focus of the third week's message, which was last week. Giving is not just some ritual we do so we can earn God's favor or so we can keep God's laws. It's not, it's not what it's about. Rather, I wanted to overwhelmingly show you that if you have been born again, giving is just something you're going to want to do. It's going to be a natural expression of your changed heart, how God has changed you. So last week, I wanted to inform your redeemed hearts 
so that you firmly know just how pleasing our giving is to God. It's been said that we are most like God when we give. And that pretty much sums it up. That's what it comes down to. God has given us so much materially and spiritually. And so how can we as true believers not reflect God and the gospel by giving to others? The redeemed heart doesn't need a command to give. Rather, we give because it's so pleasing to God and it's so loving to God and to others. And that's all we need. So that's what we've covered so far. And today I'm adding one final message just about the right manner of giving, the actual practice. We've talked exclusively so far about the right motivation of giving and the heart behind it. But now we need to include some directions about the actual practice of giving. And, and the way you do things, the manner of your giving, that's important, as we learned, at least from Ananias and Sapphira. There is a right and wrong way to go about actually giving to the Lord, to church, to others. So it's something we want to get right. Now, keep in mind, God never wants us to just go through the motions. That's not what this is about. But our actions are important to God. Don't, don't get that wrong either. Our actions are still important to God. Really, God wants from us the whole package. He wants you to have the right heart, which will produce the right motives, and that will lead to the right actions. And God wants all from you, not one, the other, all three put together. That's why, actually, I devoted one whole sermon to the right heart and then one whole sermon to the right motives for giving. But today we're going to round it out with one whole sermon for the right, the right practice, the actual act of giving. What, what's that look like? How should it look like? That's what we're going to cover today. You know, if you truly know the Lord, this should all come very naturally for you. It's not, not really rocket science. But still, just as we spent time informing your hearts so that you can keep your right motives in check, today we want to spend some time informing your hands so that you can keep your right actions in check. And so for our final message on giving, we're going to be talking about how to honor God with the actual practice of giving. What does God honoring giving really look like? It's not enough just to write a big check. It's not what it's about. Ananias and Sapphira, they gave a ton of wealth to the church, but they were giving in such a wrong manner that it counted as nothing before the Lord, even went against them. So how can we get this right when it comes to the manner of our giving, the practice of giving? Well, this morning I want to equip you by giving you eight ways to give in a God-honoring manner. Try and keep it simple, but eight ways to give in a God-honoring manner. And hopefully this completes the picture of giving in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. And that's what it's all about. That's what we're trying to do here. Eight ways to give in a God-honoring manner. And let's get started. Number one, give honestly. Give honestly. And we already pretty much learned this lesson from Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, right? I mean, just think today. What if the church were undergoing some building project, which we're not, by the way, but, you know, what if we were, and the church needed $100,000 to finish it off, and you happened to own a rental property that you were looking to sell, and it would net you $100,000, and you're going to sell it. But actually, you have some other purposes for that money, and you don't really want to give it all. You're just going to give 20000 and so if that's what you decide to do, have you done anything wrong? Well, no, of course not. I mean, it, it, that, that, that's what Peter's point was in verse 4. Look, it, it's your money. 
do what you want with it. It's totally up to you. You're under no obligation to give. Now, if you choose to give, that's great. All of it, some of it, that's your commitment. That's up to you. Rather, make your decision and then just follow through. But see, the problem with Ananias and Sapphira is that although they didn't want to give the full amount, they wanted everyone to think they gave the full amount. And this betrayed their real motivation. They weren't really concerned with helping others or serving God. They were rather serving themselves. Pride, a form of spiritual pride lay at the root of their giving. They wanted people to give them the glory because they were so generous, so righteous. They really weren't concerned about giving God the glory. And so they lied. They told everyone that this money was the full amount. They did not give honestly. But in lying to men, they were in effect lying to the Holy Spirit who's equated with God in this passage. And whether or not God makes an example out of you, like he did for them, it should be obvious this is very much giving in a manner that is displeasing, dishonoring to the Lord. You've got to remember, giving, it's not about money to God. What's more righteous, giving a ton of money from a wicked heart or giving just a little bit of money from a pure heart of worship? What do you think God cares about more? The latter. If you, if you choose to give, just give honesty, honestly and without deceit. I don't think this doesn't still happen today. I would take a wager that across the country, people every Sunday morning put empty offering envelopes into the plate. And you may think, why would anyone ever put an empty offering envelope into the plate? Well, because they want to give the appearance that they're giving, that they actually care, when in reality they, they don't. And it's the same thing. I mean, just think, what if someone outright asks you, hey, so how much did you give to the church last year? And just ask yourself, would you just slightly be tempted to exaggerate that number? And I bet a lot of people would. And if so, there's really only one reason. And that's because you're seeking the approval of men, not the approval of God. And, and that shouldn't matter. Our heart's desire should be to just serve the Lord, honor the Lord with our giving, and doing it before men sh- should play no part in it at all. This is for God and His honor, not our own. And so that very much leads into giving honestly. Just give honestly. And that's very much related to, number two, giving secretly. Number two, give secretly. And if you're in Acts, you can quickly turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Or just turn there, Matthew chapter 6. As you probably know, in Christ's day, the Jews, they lost a, a genuine relationship with God. And instead, they just had a dead religion. That's all it was for, for most of them, a dead religion. And that religion was all about the externals. You just got to do the right things, go through the right motions, and, and God will accept you, of course, right? That's what they thought. But Jesus, he slammed this self-righteousness all the time. In Matthew 6, we get another example of that. Look how this chapter begins, Matthew 6, verse 1. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, 
and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. In verse 1 here, it gives the, the overarching principle. Basically, don't do things, especially the religious things, just so that other people will, will see you and think you're so godly. Like, Don't do that for that reason. And that's the principle. Jesus then illustrates the principle through giving, and then later in the passage, even through praying and through fasting. See, these Jews, they gave money, and they prayed, and they fasted, but they, they didn't do it for God's sake. They did it for their own sake. They just wanted people to see them doing these things and think, oh, they're so religious. We should you know, praise them and respect them. It reveals their motivation, their desire, be it in giving or praying or fasting or whatever. It wasn't to honor the Lord. It was to receive honor themselves. They were in it for their own glory. They wanted the recognition and the honor for themselves. And can you just imagine it today during the offering? It's all kind of, kind of quiet and serious. Then the person next to you, they stand up, they pull out of their jacket a big trumpet, and then you start wailing on the trumpet. And then they announce, I've just given $1,000 to the church. And you think, well, $1,000, that's, that's a lot of money. But, but then you realize, like, why, wait, why are they announcing it? What does that say about why they're giving? And you see, when you do this, which I trust you never would, but you get the point, you know, it puts a big red void stamp across your offering, and it really means nothing to God. It means absolutely nothing. It's worthless. God is not interested in your actions if they come from the wrong motivation. The word for this is hypocrisy. Now, this doesn't mean God doesn't want you to give or to pray or to fast or whatever. But if you're doing it for the right reasons, which we've already covered a lot earlier, then naturally you're going to appreciate what Jesus says here about the right manner of giving, and that is to give secretly, give in secret. That's what he says. And later he says pray in secret. He even says fast in secret, meaning so that others don't see you. And why? Well, because you're doing these things to honor God. These actions are merely reflections of your relationship with God. So it really doesn't matter if other people know you do it or not. It's not why you're doing it. You're not seeking the praise of men, so give secretly. And today, again, this is still an issue. And it's not wrong to give in a semi-public setting like here at church on Sunday morning. But if you are doing it to be seen by others, then it is wrong for you. And do you find yourself making a, a big commotion when you're getting ready for the offering, like you're ruffling papers? It's almost like you're slam dunking your offering into the plate. just kind of want to make sure everyone can see that you gave this morning so that they can validate you as a good Christian. So you need to be checking your motivation and even your actions in your giving. And instead, especially if you find yourself tempted by spiritual pride, I would tell you, don't give on Sunday mornings. Amen. God doesn't say don't give, but look, you can always mail your offering in, right? I mean, it's not going to kill you, especially if you're so tempted by this. And that way, no one will, will know you will truly be giving in secret, and you'll be free from the temptation of spiritual pride. And really, on the flip side of this, I, I'd even tell you to check yourself when it comes to judging others. You know, on Sunday mornings, you see someone, and they never give. They just never give anything. And Do you find yourself secretly judging them just a little. I think that's kind of like a subpar Christian. I never see them give anything. But how do you know what's going on in their heart? How do you know what they're doing in secret? Does, should that even matter whether what you see them doing? 
See, overall, we need to simply take ourselves and others out of the equation when it comes to the practice of our giving, because that's not what it's about. This is a practice we aim to do for God and before God, and uh, whether or not people see us uh, really should not come into the equation at all. The honor of men should play no role. Therefore, give discreetly or give secretly. Give secretly. Well, number three, give regularly. Give regularly. Every Sunday morning, we include a time for offering, and that might make you wonder, is that like a command? Are we commanded to give every single week? And the answer to that is no. There's no command that you have to give every week or even every month. But is it a good and beneficial practice to give on a regular basis, like a weekly or monthly thing? And the answer to that is very much so, yes. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. Now, we've talked in the past week several times this deal Paul was doing. He was making this, or putting together this special collection for the poor and suffering Christians in Jerusalem. And that's what he's talking about in this verse. In this regard, he tells the Corinthians to set aside some of your money every week, save it, put it aside. On the first day of the week, which back then was Sunday, they were to, to give and to be pooling their money, just setting it aside this fund on a weekly basis, And that way, when Paul visits, it'll all be ready, and he can just take it off to the saints in Jerusalem. And that makes perfect sense, because it would have been entirely impractical for them to try and send their money every week from Corinth to Jerusalem, which is just, you know, 1,800 miles. So that wouldn't make sense. Rather, he's telling them to intentionally give and save every week, so that whenever Paul arrived, the money would be ready, and he would just ship it off. Now, obviously, this specific reason for giving regularly doesn't apply to us today. We are not told to give every week so that we can support poor and suffering Christians in Jerusalem. That obviously does not apply to us today. But the driving force behind his admonition still applies. Why was it such a big deal for Paul to tell these Corinthians that you guys should give every week and set that aside so that when I come it will be ready? Why was that such a big deal? Why couldn't they have just waited till he showed up and then just, you know, scratch together whatever they had and just do it that way? Well, the answer given is covetousness. We learn that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. I'll read that for you, but you can turn there. We'll, we'll go there eventually. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5. Paul says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift, and not affected by covetousness. If you weren't really following, let me try and give you the gist of that, like a modern illustration. Let's just pretend that in your heart, you committed to give $5,000 a year, which, great, that's cool. It's, It's your commitment. It's up to you to do something like that. Now, if that's your commitment, there are two ways to follow through on that commitment. You can give a little portion of your income every week, which would amount to 5000 a year, 
Or you can just save it up yourself, and at the end of the year, just kind of throw in 5000 you know, whatever. But here's the problem with the latter of those two, where you're just kind of setting the money aside, saving it yourself. And here's what Paul's getting at. You know, as time goes on, you're not giving every week, so you start to see your money accumulate. And as you see your money start to pile up, that little thought creeps into your mind. And you think, wow, I've got a nice little savings here. I've got a lot of money than I thought I, I had. And you know, I haven't been on a nice vacation in, in a lot of time, in many years, so it seems like I can afford one now. See, slowly but surely, covetousness starts to creep in and it affects your giving. And that money, hey, by your own free will commitment, that was up to you, but that money, by your own commitment, was to be devoted to the Lord. But most people find themselves, at the end of that year, they've already spent that 5000 on themselves. And see, their giving has been affected by covetousness. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's getting at. Remember, your giving, it, it's your own commitment, your free will commitment. But if you do commit, well then, he would say, and we would say, give regularly. Especially if you're not disciplined enough to really set the money aside. And some of you are, that's fine, but, but I would say give regularly. Like we learned last week, one of the benefits of giving is that it hinders the flesh. We all still have the fallen sinful flesh, and it is even sometimes affected by covetousness and greed. But giving is a way we can deny the flesh with its sinful desires. So who's going to be winning the war against the flesh more often? The person who gives once a year, if that, or the person who gives every single week. And you get the point. Look, there's no command here. There, there really is no command. Give every week, give every month. We're not operating under commands. But hopefully you see the wisdom and the value uh, of giving on a regular basis. There's a lot to be said about giving regularly as good practice before the Lord. Well, along similar lines, in addition to asking how often we should give, I find a lot of people asking, well, how much should we give? Is there something on that? Does the Bible tell us how much we should be giving? And again, you're not going to find any commands for New Testament believers. There's no commands on how much to give. There's not even percentages. There's no command to give a, a certain percentage. But there is one very important principle that should guide the practice of your giving, which is what we're talking about today. And this is the fourth way to give in a God-honoring manner. Number four, give generously. Give generously. I just read for you 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. And if you're there, you can look at verse 6 now. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And Paul says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul is still encouraging the Corinthians to follow through on their, their gift, their commitment, and he encourages them to give generously. Like Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul, he illustrates the blessedness of generosity with a farming illustration. If you give just a little, you, you can expect a little blessing in return. If you give a lot, you can expect a large blessing in return, so to speak. Let me just pretend for the fun of it, you inherited 500 acres of pristine farmland. Now, that's a lot. And you're thinking, man, that's... I wonder how much should be, you know, it would cost to, to actually use that, to farm there. And you inquire about, you know, wheat. You want to plant some wheat, some wheat seed. 
And you learn you will need 1,000 50-pound bags of wheat seed to cover that 500 acres. At 10 pounds a bag, that means just to buy the seed, it's going to cost $10,000 for that field. And you think to yourself, man, I don't want to spend $10,000 on seed. I'd rather have a car. So you forget it. You forget the field. You get your car or whatever, and and the the field goes to, to waste. But what if you had invested in that seed? You planted the whole field. How much would you make? Well, wheat, at least used to, go for around $10 a bushel. And one acre can typically generate 100 bushels. You've got 500 acres. You can put all the math together. If you had a perfect harvest, you would make $500,000. So how does that $10,000 investment sound now? It sounds pretty good. And that, that's, what, that's the analogy Paul himself is giving. Like you, you give a little, you're going to get a little. And you give a lot, you expect a massive blessing in return. And Jesus himself made that point. He said, in, in some real way, God promises to bless us in proportion to the measure of our faith as reflected in our giving. Jesus himself said, Luke chapter 6, verse 38, he said, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. If you're stingy with how you bless others with giving, well, you can expect stingy blessing on yourself and and vice versa with being generous. If you give generously, God actually promises his greater blessing upon your life. Again, one of the reasons our giving is so pleasing to God is that it requires so much faith to actually believe that as you give your money away, it will return to you later in the form of a greater blessing. That takes a lot of faith. Now keep in mind, God never promises that he will bless your money with more money. He never says he will bless you with more riches. God's blessings come in many forms. So this is not some like get-rich-quick scheme. There's no promise that you'll become rich if you give generously. But the true believer values God's blessings in whatever form they are, including sanctification. So while the world says you must hoard your money to be blessed, the believer knows that the greater blessing comes in whatever form it is by giving and by giving generously. And so do this. Seek to be a giver who is generous. Now, someone at church has an unexpected medical bill, 500 bucks. To them, that's backbreaking. To you, maybe you're well off. That's like nothing to you. So, it, so give. And don't just give them 50 bucks. Now, if you have the ability and you have the desire... Then, then give. Give generously, cover their costs, and, and bless them. You, you'll be pleasing to God, and God promises he will bless you in return. We all should be striving to give generously. And even as we do so, as we are giving generously, to not complain, which can be a, a little temptation that comes when you're giving away to complain. And that kind of relates to number five. Number five, to give cheerfully. To give cheerfully. We read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, and then we just read verse 6, and we might as well read verse 7, which says this, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now here, obviously, the concept of being a cheerful giver is tied to giving not grudgingly or under compulsion. So in other words, you give and you're, you're happy to give. It 
pleases you. It doesn't pain you to give. It, it pleases you to give. This cheerfulness, of course, ties in with giving of your own free will. This is something you are doing because you want to do. And that's the only kind of offering that God cares about. Only the gift that comes from a heart of worship and love is a real form of worship to God. And by definition, that will be cheerful. It's the only type of real worship there is, cheerful worship. Just think about this. How would you feel if in the mail tomorrow you got a letter saying your driver's license had expired, you must go down to the DMV, you've got to retake the written test and the driving test, it's going to take you three, four, five hours at the DMV, how would you feel? You'd feel terrible. That's got to be like the worst feeling there is. At the DMV, it brings out the worst in people. It is such a depressing place. It is painful to go there. We hate going to the DMV. And so, but will you go? Well, yeah, you'll go because you have to, but you are not going to be happy about it. But does that describe how you give? That's how some people give. Like, okay, I'll, I'll give because I have to, but I'm not going to be happy about it. You see the problem. God doesn't care about that type of giving. Instead, what if in the mail tomorrow you got anonymously four free tickets to Disneyland? I think most of you would probably be excited. That, that sounds great. Will you go? Yeah, you'll go. And you'll be happy about it because it's something you want to do. And I hope you get the point. That should be your attitude when you're giving. God loves a cheerful giver because a cheerful giver loves God. And a cheerful giver loves giving. Really, this is something you can't fake. Either you have a heart that loves God and therefore loves giving, or you don't. And that's why earlier I preached a whole sermon on the heart. But still, it's important to be reminded that being cheerful, that's part of the right manner in which we give. God wants to see that from us. It should come from within. We've got just a few more to go. Number six, give proportionately. Give proportionately. I said earlier, there are no numbers as to how much you should give. And that's true. There aren't even percentages. We're not under tithing anymore, so we're not bound to give 10%. Really, remember the Jews, they gave 23% because there were three tithes. But those numbers don't apply to us in the New Testament. And so instead, when it comes to the amount we should give, we learn to be generous. We covered that already. But in addition, we are told to give proportionately. This is also something that's clearly taught Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, once again, we've seen these passages a lot. Chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians are huge passages on giving. But back in chapter 8, once again, if you remember, Paul is praising or commending these Macedonian Christians because of how they gave. And in verse 3, he praises them because they gave according to their ability. They gave according to their ability. And later, that's how Paul tells the Corinthians to give. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 12. It says, For if the readiness to give is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. You remember the money that Paul was drumming up was to go to the, the, the suffering Christians in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 11 talks about an earlier gift from Christians to those Jerusalem saints. And it says this, Acts 11, verse 29. It says, And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. So the point is this, and it's pretty obvious, 
You can't give what you don't have. And God doesn't expect you to give what you don't have. Rather, give some portion of what you do have. Give proportionately. That's, that's what all these Christians were doing. Once again, to God, it's not about the, the amount of money given. That's why these poor Macedonians could be praised. Because remember, they themselves were dirt poor. And in the grand scheme of things, their offering probably didn't make that big of a dent in the amount needed to cover the contribution for Jerusalem. But that didn't matter because that's not what it's about to God. It's about worship. And even for them, even though they had just a little to give, they were happy to give according to their ability some portion of their money to God. The same should be true of your giving today. Practically speaking, there's no command to give X percent of your income to the church. It's really up to you. But if you're going to apply this principle of giving proportionately, then it really is a a good idea to choose yourself a percentage to give to others, to the church, and so forth. There's a lot of wisdom in giving a percentage of your income because it ensures that you are giving proportionally. For example, I know some Christians, they they know we're not under tithing anymore, we're not required to give 10%, but on their own, they looked at their family and their budget, they said actually 10% is a good number for us. So they just chose on their own to give 10%. And that's great. I know another guy who, as he gets a raise, he would tell me that, you know, early on we're talking, he gives 10% just by his choice. But as he gets raise after raise, he doesn't choose to always increase his standard of living. He actually pushes up his giving a little bit, 11%, maybe 12 just just whatever he decides. And that's what it comes down to. You know, what is good for you? What is proportionate for you? God doesn't expect the poor college student who makes nothing to give $5,000 a year. So that would be way out of proportion to what they, what they have or what they don't have. But at the same time, you could say it's not expected for the multimillionaire to give $5,000 a year. because It's not really way out of proportion to the massive amount that they have. You know, all this must come from the heart. I trust that's the picture you're getting. I've hammered that over and over again. But whatever your heart's commitment is, The principle here is let it be in proportion to what you have. To give proportionally in a way to help others who have less. Well, this is very much related to number seven, give sacrificially. You probably saw this one coming if you've you've read your New Testament a lot. It's talked about often. Give sacrificially. See, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Not only did Paul praise these Macedonian Christians for giving according to their ability, but also because they gave, verse 3, beyond their ability. In other words, they gave sacrificially. And no one had to twist their arm to do it. They were pleased to do it. See the same thing with the story of the poor widow? probably remember that. Jesus, he was watching a bunch of rich people give in their little donations at the temple. Then he saw this poor widow come along and drop in just two coins. It's kind of, it's like nothing. It's like a penny. It's all she had, though. And Jesus commends her, Luke 21, verses 3 and 4. He says, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they all put out of their surplus into the offering, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Now, we don't know this widow's heart, but Jesus does commend her for her sacrificial giving. Many of these rich people, they were putting into them like chump change. 
It's like the millionaire giving 20 bucks. It's like to them, it costs them nothing. It means nothing to them. But giving these two coins, it was very costly to this woman. You know, when you give, when you give sacrificially, you're really giving twice. You're giving up the money itself. But then you're also giving up what that money would have bought you otherwise. But if you do this from the right heart, there are a few things more pleasing to God because sacrificial giving reflects God himself. Isn't this how God gave to us? Isn't this how God himself displayed ultimate love by giving us a sacrificial gift? You know, like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God's gift to the world cost him dearly the life of his own son, but God did so freely out of love. And when we likewise give out of love that which costs us, we are remembering and reflecting God and the gospel. And nothing makes God more happy than that. You know, back in Second Samuel, David, he really got it right. And there's this one little line I, wanna, I want you to tell you about. David was told to set up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of a guy named Aruna the Jebusite. And when David showed up, Aruna saw David, and he's like, and he knew what was going on. He's like, here, just take it all. Take my threshing floor. I gave you the land for free. Here's a couple oxen. Just take them for the sacrifice. Giving it to you all for free. But David said, no, I don't want it for free. David said, I will surely buy it from you for a price. And then David said, for I will not give an offering to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. And that's, what, that's it right there. That's what it's about. And David got it right. He will not give an offering to the Lord that costs us nothing. God is honored when we give to him sacrificially, just like he did for us. The world doesn't understand sacrificial giving. It doesn't make sense. Sure, some people give to charity, but they're not going to go and sacrifice part of their lifestyle to give. They're, they don't want to suffer loss. But the true believer trusts God for all of his or her needs and is willing to sacrifice some wants in life to help with the needs of others. And tell you again, it's really hard to fake this type of giving. You can't, it's hard to fake this. I mean, maybe you're saving up for a new car, which is nice. It's a nice thing to have, a nice new car. But then you learn of some need on the mission field, a very pressing need on the mission field. So, so what do you do? It takes a real love for God and a real denial of self to sacrifice a little bit of material pleasure for a greater spiritual good. But this is real evidence that God has changed your life because this giving, it's certainly not natural. It's certainly not something our flesh is going to do. And so aim to reflect the gospel in your life by giving sacrificially. And then finally, we'll finish with this, number eight. Give voluntarily. Give voluntarily. And I think it's appropriate to end on this because that's really what this whole series on giving has been driving at, to really correct the giving in the church. It does come down to this, giving voluntarily. Whatever you decide from a heart of love and worship. Your giving, if it is to honor God, it must be voluntary. You're free from religious guilt. You should be free from guilt trips and external pressure. Rather, you should want to give as an expression, an outpouring of, of your heart because you have received so much from the Lord. 
Of course, we've already seen this in those famous chapters, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3 again. He says, I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. No one made them do it. They gave of their own accord. And again, that, that famous verse, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. He says, each, mu- each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Look, you give as you, d- you see fit. It's, it's up to you. You must choose not under compulsion. And I want to tell you about one last passage in the Old Testament that really, that really drives us home. And right after the Exodus, God instructed Israel to construct for him a tabernacle. Remember? A central place of worship. And it was going to be a large building. A lot of building materials went into it, even a lot of gold. So where, was, where were they going to get all this building material for this huge project? And the answer was the people. The people had to provide it. But God only wanted the people to contribute voluntarily. So there's no command. This wasn't a tithing thing. There's no command. God said, though, to Moses, Exodus 25, verse 2, he said, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. Every man whose heart moves him, from him you shall raise my contribution. See, the building of this tabernacle was to be a sign of Israel's love for God and worship of God. Therefore, for it to be meaningful, it had to be voluntary. So there's no command. But the people, they rightly responded. Exodus 35, verse 29 tells us, the Israelites, all the men and women, whose heart moved them to bring material for all the work which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, brought a free will offering to the Lord. It actually got to the point where the people were bringing so much that Moses had to stop them because they had more than they needed. But this really was to God's glory. These people loved him, and they were showing it with their gifts. And the same should be true for all of our giving today. And that's really what this whole series has been about. Do you, do you really love God? And do you really love others? Do you really desire to please him in all respects? Now that's, that's why we give. And that should translate into how we give, the actual practice of our giving. If you're a Christian, which means you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you, you believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rose again. You've placed your faith in him for eternal life. If that's you, then you have received a gift, a, a special gift, a gift of salvation. And that alone should be enough to turn you into a giver. Giving is important to God. It should be important to us. It's something God wants us to do. It's something we should want to do. And it's something we want to get right, unlike Ananias and Sapphira. So apply everything that we've learned over the course of this little study. Put together the right heart behind giving, the right motives for giving. Let that translate into the right manner of giving. And seek to live life as a giver. Give to God and others out of love from a right heart in the right manner. And this, you will be richly blessed and God will be greatly glorified. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, we just want to begin by giving you the glory. 
Really, that is what you desire. That is the greatest gift we can give you, our lives, our honor, our glory to you, and recognition just of who you are, the one true God, the almighty, perfect, righteous God. Also, in recognition of what you have done, you're the God, the maker of heaven and earth. You're the God of salvation as well. You have done so much for us individually by giving yourself. You gave your son, Jesus, to live, to die on the cross, to rise again for the forgiveness of our sins, which keep us from you. You are a God who gives. We are the recipients of that. We want to, in return, give you glory and thanksgiving for that. And we even want to let that translate into how we give of our lives, our time, our money, our energy to others, to you. We want to be those who are like our God and Savior. We want to be givers. So thank you for the study, our time in your word. May it really impact our hearts. May it correct our thinking, change our minds, and even change our actions as well. May we all be a people who are really showing the world what giving is all about, even sacrificial giving, that they may come to know you, that you can be pleased as we give to meet the needs of others and a reflection of our love for you. So thank you again for this time, this study. We pray for your blessing on us as we leave. For your name's sake, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.